All right, well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series in the book of 2 Peter, and uh, Peter gives us the theme of his letter at the very end, the very last sentence where he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's his theme. Peter is writing this letter to help us grow in grace and knowledge. Now, Peter is going to die. We know that he says that in the letter. Soon he's going to die. He's going to be executed. But when he's gone, he wants this church to continue to grow. Even when he's not there, he wants them to continue to develop and to continue in their walk with the Lord. And he's been going through and telling us kind of things that will help us grow, things to avoid that would keep us from going. And uh, in this particular section, Peter is going to warn us against false teacher because, teachers, because Peter knows that one of the greatest uh, dangers to growth is false teachers. He, he knows that one of the greatest skills to develop, if you're going to grow as a Christian, is the ability to discern between truth and error. Can you do that? Now, I think this is really important for us uh, in our current context because uh, we're in an environment where uh, Christians, especially Christians, are disagreeing a lot. Can I get an amen on that one? Uh, People uh, ask me a lot of times, they'll say, Brent, you know, during the pandemic, uh, in an election year, uh, when all the things that are going on, uh, what is the hardest part about being a pastor? And I always say, you know, the hardest part is navigating the disagreements. And it's because the tone of the discourse of disagreement has become so extreme. And so uh, if you disagree with somebody, uh, it's, it's very uh, common nowadays to say, I not, not only disagree with this particular person, but they're a heretic. They're a false teacher. So the discourse has become incredibly extreme. Um, I've got a, one of my favorite teachers. I won't tell you who he is, but one of my favorite teachers, I Googled him the other day. And of course, people online were calling this guy a heretic. And so it becomes really important for us as Christians to know, I mean, okay, so if we're going to call, throw around the word heretic or false teacher, we need to know what is a false teacher? What is a heretic? What does it mean to, for someone to be a false prophet? Because some people are way too gullible. They're going to believe everybody, you know, and they're taking in all sorts of bad teachings. But then there's other people that are too critical. Everybody's a false teacher. Everybody is outside of the pale of orthodoxy. And so the question is, how do we determine between truth and error? How do we know? who a false prophet is, and how do we identify a false prophet? And that's what Peter's going to talk about in this particular chapter. Uh, This is a long description Peter gives about the nature of a false teacher. And so what I want to do is ask three questions of this passage, always three. Uh, Number one, we're going to ask, what is a false teacher? Number two, how do we identify one? And then thirdly, uh, what do we do to protect ourselves? So three questions today as we look at this passage about false teachers. Uh, Number one, let's go ahead and look at what Peter says uh, a false prophet is. So he begins in verse one. uh, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destructions. A destruction. And so let's ask the question, number one, what is, if according to Peter, what is a false prophet anyway? Well, to, in order to get at that, we need to first understand what, it, what a prophet is. And the first, what is a prophet? If you want to know what a false prophet is, first you've got to ask the question, well, what is a true prophet? Now, when you look at the biblical uh, definition of what a prophet is, prophet, prophet is uh, the first thing most of us think about is someone who makes predictions about the future, Right? 
A prophet is somebody who tells the future, makes a prediction that actually comes true. And of course, that is part of what it means to be a prophet. In fact, last week, uh, Sam preached a sermon where he talked about how there were Old Testament predictions about the Messiah that actually came true in the New Testament. There's a whole lot of those uh, prophecies, and that's part of what a prophet did. But if you looked at the main job description of what a prophet was, if you look at kind of what basically, most basically a prophet is, Uh, A prophet, according to the Bible, is someone who speaks on behalf of God. Not only about the future, but actually more often than not about what's going on in the present. A prophet is somebody who spoke about who God is, what his nature is. Uh, What does it mean to be a human? What What does human flourishing look like? What is the path to life? They are signposts pointing people in the direction of God and the life that leads to flourishing. In fact, Isaiah in the Old Testament, he says what every prophet says. He says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Remember, Isaiah said that? This is what a prophet does. He points the way. This is the way, walk ye in it. He tells us the truth about God. And so one um, pastor that I read this past week, he said that a prophet, think about a prophet as a luminary, as a luminary. In fact, uh, Peter, in chapter 1, he says that prophets are those who shine light in a dark place. There are people that shed light on God and truth and the life well lived. And of course, what this means is that there are still prophets today. We don't call them that. We most often call them pastors, teachers, bloggers, uh, conference speakers, best-selling authors. These are luminaries. And we need luminaries, don't we? I mean, a good teacher, a good author, a great book can point you in the right direction. They can shed light on who God is and what he requires of us. But there's a problem. And the problem is not every luminary, not every prophet points us in the same direction. And contrary to popular sentiment, not all paths lead up to the same mountain. Different paths lead to different destinations. Not every prophet is right. There are true prophets and there's false prophets. And what Peter says is that we need to learn how to determine the true ones from the false ones. So uh, the word that Peter uses here for false prophet is an interesting word. It's the word pseudo-prophet, pseudo-prophetes. That's what it says in Greek. And we've all heard the word pseudo Uh, A pseudo means that you are claiming to be something, but you're actually not. That's what a false prophet is. They are claiming to be a true prophet, but they're actually not true. They're claiming to be someone who points you to God, but they actually aren't. Just like there are pseudo-intellectuals who are claiming to be smart, but they're not. And there are pseudo-celebrities who are claiming to be celebrities, but they're not. There are also pseudo-prophets who are claiming to speak on behalf of God, but in actuality are not doing that. And this is what a false prophet is. Now, notice a few things before we go on about false prophets. Uh, False prophets, Peter says, they come from among you. He says that in verse 1. And what he means by that is that these are not necessarily people on the outside of the church. He's not necessarily talking about other religions or other non-Christian philosophies or non-Christian books or non-Christian teachers. He's talking primarily about people that claim to be Christian. People who own the label as a follower of Jesus, somebody who is preaching from a pulpit at a Christian church, they are from among us, and yet they're not teaching the truth of the way of Jesus. 
So the danger here is not so much for Peter that we're going to go and join a different religion. The danger is that we will be led astray by false truth within the church. And notice here, he says this false teaching is subtle. And so what he means by this is that a false teacher doesn't wear a t-shirt that says, I'm a false teacher. Uh, it, they, they, they pose as Christian teachers. They, uh, a lot of what they say are true. But there is uh, underneath the surface falsehood. Uh, bad doctrine that's leaving you in a, leading you in a different direction. And then he also says, because of this, many people are deceived by them. So uh, these are teachers that often have very large churches. Their books are sold by the millions. They have lots of followers. But he says, despite how popular they are, and the reason why they are popular is because, they, because of some of the things they say. Peter says, you've got to be careful. It's subtle. It's dangerous. It's deceptive. These are pseudo-prophets, and we've got to develop the discernment to be able to identify them. Well, that's the second question I want to ask of the passage. How do we identify a false prophet? So here they are. They're claiming to name Christian, but they're teaching falsehood. Uh, They're leading people astray. Uh, They're doing it subtly. So how do we know, uh, how do we identify them? What do they look like? Well, Peter in the passage, this is a long description of the false teachers, Uh, adjectives uh, over and over again. He describes what they look like, and there's just way too much to talk about. Everything Peter gives us here to identify a false teacher, but let me just give you a few things to look for. First of all, Peter says, uh, if you're going to identify a false teacher, the first thing I want you to do is look at their life. Look at the life of the false teacher, and if you noticed as we read here how much Peter talks about just simply before even he talks about their teaching or what they're saying, he talks about the way that they live. He says, there will be false teachers among you. They'll secretly bring in destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then he says, and many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In their greed, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation was from long ago, and it's not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So here he's talking about their way of life. So Peter says, if you want to identify them as Jesus said, he says, you'll know the false prophet because by their fruits you will know them. And fruit is a metaphor for character. These are men who don't practice what they preach. These are women whose lives don't match up to their message. These are people whose character and whose lifestyle is filled with holes and cracks. And Peter says, you can identify. Before they even open their mouth, all you need to do is look at their lifestyle. In other words, Peter says, I don't want you to be fooled by their facade. You know, a lot of people can fool you because they've got charisma, they're charismatic. Or they can fool you because they're so gifted. You know, they're just so good at what they do. Or they can fool you because, again, they're so popular and their churches are filled with people. Peter says, look past the veneer, look past all of that, and look at their character because that's going to tell you whether they're true or whether they're false. As some of you uh, may have recently purchased a home, some of the advice I got when I was buying my first home is don't be fooled by the facade. Don't be fooled by a nice-looking bathroom or by a beautiful kitchen. Look at the bones. Look at the foundation. 
Because if the foundation has cracks, there's something wrong. Don't buy it. And Peter says, look at the foundation of these men and these women. Look at the foundation of their lives. If, they're, if the foundation is cracked, if they don't have good character, then don't buy what they're selling. There are many examples of this, but my, my parents, uh, they go to a church in Southern Oregon. And uh, my mom was a secretary for this man who led this church. And he was super charismatic. The church was growing rapidly. He was a great speaker. Many people coming to faith through his ministry. Um, it was just, everybody was enamored with this guy. The problem is there were cracks in his character. My mom was the secretary, so she could see them little by little. But after a time, it came, he was exposed, and it came out that he was embezzling money, taking advantage of women in the church, and the guy was just plain arrogant. He was exposed, he was fired, and then he went and started another church. And Peter would say, do not be fooled by people like this. You will know them by their fruits. Look at their life. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's faultless. God knows that. But if there are blatant character flaws, that's a really good sign that these people are false. So uh, look at the life. Second of all, Peter would say, look at their doctrine. Look at their doctrine. Look at what they're actually teaching. And Peter says, uh, but false prophets, uh, they arose from among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And then he says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. The word heresy is a really important word. Because what heresy is, is a denial of core Christian doctrine. It's a denial of, of basic Christian orthodoxy. There's another thing to look for. Does the teacher deny basic Christian truth? Now notice uh, Peter says this. He says they're, they're teaching heresy, denying the Lord that bought you, that bought them. Don't just look at the things that the teachers affirm. There are lots of things that false teachers will affirm that are true. There are lots of things they will say that, will true, that are true. Sometimes 90% of it is true, but pay attention to what they deny. Uh, the guys with the white shirt, shirts and the black pants that come to your door, uh, the Mormons, they're, they're a popular false uh, teacher, uh, teaching um, in our area and, and around our country. Whenever they come to my door, um, I never listen to what they affirm. Because they'll affirm a lot of good stuff. They'll talk about God, how he's a God of love. They'll talk about the Bible and how they believe in the Bible. They'll, they'll, they affirm a whole bunch. But what I always do is I say, tell me, what do you think about Jesus Christ? And I'll say, do you affirm that he is the second person, member of the Trinity? And I'll say, oh, no, 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 no. He's a God, but he's not the second member of the Trinity. And you see, they are exposing themselves there because they are denying core Christian Teaching. It raises a question. Do you know what core Christian teaching is? If I give you a piece of paper and said, write down what are the most basic, minimal beliefs that you must affirm to be a Christian, could you do that? Could you do that? And Peter is saying, you've got to be able to look at a person and hear their, their teaching and to identify when they're actually denying core Christian truth. You know, in our church, we've, we've tried to help people do this. We have something called Fellowship University. And these are classes about the Christian faith and the Christian life and, and helping you know, develop you guys. And uh, we have classes about parenting and about marriage and about, uh, we have a Frisbee golf class 
And those are all very popular classes. There's one class that we always offer that's never popular. It's the, crash, the class on core Christian doctrine. And I admit, it's not a very sexy class. It's like eating your vegetables. But you need to learn how to eat your vegetables. Because if you don't know basic Christian doctrine, you'll be led astray. Because what false teachers do is they affirm so much and so much of what they say is interesting and compelling and true. It's the 10% that you need to be able to determine, oh, that is a denial of basic Christian teaching. Can you do this? Many Christians can't. There was an interview uh, with a guy named Christopher Hitchens. And some of you know he's a famous uh, atheist. He wrote a book called God is Not Good. He's very uh, anti-Christianity. He's being uh, interviewed by a woman named Marilyn Sewell. And Marilyn Sewell is a Unitarian minister, and she was talking to him about his books. And she says, you know, you cite uh, in your book, what, what you cite about Christians is generally the conservative faith of various kinds. But I'm a different sort of Christian. I don't believe in miracles, she said. I don't believe in the deity of Christ. I don't believe in the atonement, and I don't believe in the resurrection. Do you make any distinction between the conservative faith and my brand of Christianity, she said to Christopher Hitchens. And I love his response. This is what he said back to her. He said, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead, you are not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Christopher Hitchens has the discernment To know somebody who's deviating from the core Christian faith. Can you do that? Can you do that? Do you know, know enough about basic Christian doctrine? Now, some of us admittedly are way too critical. Maybe this is you. You're like one of those self-appointed watchdogs, you know, and everybody's a heretic. And some of us, our list of orthodoxy is like way too long. You know, if somebody doesn't sign off to your 180 core Christian tenets, well, then they're a heretic, right? They need to sign on to the Apostles' Creed, but they also need to affirm the Baptist Confession of Faith. Of course, they also need to be a Democrat, and of or, or they can't drink alcohol, of course, and they have to agree with all of my Christian convictions. Everybody's a heretic to you. Maybe you're drawing the circle a little bit too narrowly, you got to be careful here. My brother, me, me, me and my brother, we're, we agree on so much. Like we are so, he's another pastor. He's in California. We agree on so many things. We could almost pastor the same church. And uh, we were talking about this, about how, how, how much in agreement we are. And at one point I said, Josh, you know, it's so funny. Uh, I don't think anybody else knows what's going on around here except for me and you. And sometimes I worry about you. And maybe that's the way you are. Nobody knows what's going on around here except for me and you, and sometimes I worry about you. Everybody's a heretic. Don't draw the line too small, but you need to know what does it mean to be orthodox? What does it mean to be a Christian? What are the basic Christian tenets? You know, when people stand up here on the stage to become member, members, you'll hear the basic tenets uh, that they must affirm. I mean, it's pretty small, but you need to know what it is. Do you know that? Here's another test, another uh, thing that will help you determine who may be a false teacher. You need to give somebody the moral vision test, the moral vision test. 
And this is an important one because what, he, what Peter is saying is that these teachers are giving you a moral vision. They are telling you what, what is right and what is wrong. They're giving you a vision to what it, of what it means to be human and what it means to live the good life. And is it right? Are they giving you the right vision of, of uh, human flourishing? The, the heresy at the very beginning, if you look at the very beginning of your Bible, you know, Adam and Eve were led astray. And do you remember what the temptation was? The temptation was to define good and evil for yourself. Don't let God tell you what's right and wrong. You determine what is good and evil for yourself. That's another thing a false teacher does. They'll give you a confusing vision about what is right and wrong. If you want to know what a good test is, is compare them to Jesus. Does their moral vision align with Jesus' moral vision? Do they agree with Jesus? Jesus gave us a moral vision in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about how to relate to sex, money, and power. The Sermon on the Mount is a vision for the good life. Does the teacher agree with Jesus? If they disagree with his moral vision, well, they're a false teacher. I love what Tim Keller says. Uh, he says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And if the teachers you listen to always agree with you, if they never contradict you, if they never offend you, if they never offend the spirit of this age, if your teacher agrees with everything you hear on TV in terms of their moral vision, chances are they may, may be a false prophet. And we're coming up on an election season, and, and a lot of us, we determine our moral vision from our political party. But the question is not whether Jesus agrees with your political party. It's whether your political party, agree, party agrees with Jesus. He is the standard. His moral vision is the standard. He is the litmus test. Here's the thing about a false prophet, is false prophets give you a poor moral vision because they're giving you what you want to hear. In the Old Testament, uh, false prophets were hired by kings. You know, a king would get a prophet, and the prophet would say, king, you need to repent. And they'd say, I don't like that prophet, let's get rid of him. And so they would wait to get a, a prophet who would actually affirm them in the way they were already living. And in the New Testament, Peter says it's the, uh, the same way. And, and Paul even says people have itching ears and they will heap up for themselves prophets who will tell them exactly what they already want to hear. You're okay. Some of you may have seen uh, the TV show Mad Men, good show. Uh, Don Draper is the main uh, character of that, of that show and he's an ad executive. And in the first season, he was given a task to sell uh, cigarettes uh, right after the warning from the Surgeon General came that cigarettes were killing people. And so here was the question, how do you sell a product that's killing people? And there's this one scene where Don Draper is in this boardroom and all these ad execs are around the table and he gets up and they're like, what is he gonna do? How's he gonna do this? And he says this. He said, advertising is based on one thing, happiness. And do you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams with reinsurance that whatever you're doing is okay, that you're okay. 
And when you're listening to a teacher and all you ever hear is, you're okay, whatever you're doing is okay, chances are they are selling you something. Well, let's ask the third question, which is, okay, so Peter's described them, this is what they look like. Well, what do we do? What do we do to protect ourselves? What's interesting is this passage, 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 2, there is no moral command. There is nothing that Peter tells us to do. I mean, it's a long diatribe. It's this long description of what these teachers look like and, and how to identify them and what they're teaching and all this. There's nothing that Peter tells us to do. And so what do we do to protect ourselves against false teachers? I want to suggest what we have to do is go back and see the last thing that Peter told us to do. What is the last moral command that he gave us? Well, you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, and Peter tells us in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So he says, we have true prophets. We have, we have uh, light shining in a dark place. And he says, you do well to pay attention to them as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And I want to suggest that this is what we do. If we're going to, this is how you protect yourself, is you need to learn how to pay attention. Pay attention to the true prophets. The best way to protect yourself from the false is to pay attention to what is true. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me suggest some things that you can do. Uh, first, I want to suggest that if you're going to pay attention, like Peter tells you to do, to the truth... I want to encourage you to soak yourself in Scripture. Uh, one of the best ways to, to, to tell whether somebody is a false teacher is to be so familiar with the truth found in Scripture. Know your Bible. Get a Bible reading plan. When you get up in the morning, before you read the news, before you get on NPR or Fox News or whatever you're listening to, or before you, you know, look at your Facebook feed, before you do any of that, soak yourself in Scripture, because the more familiar you are with the truth, the quicker you're, you'll be able to tell the error. Uh, I've got a friend in the church who works at a bank, and in a bank, they tell you how to identify counterfeit money. And he said the way they do it is really interesting. He said counterfeits are really hard to identify. It's not like Monopoly money where it's like, oh yeah, that's obviously fake. He says they look real. And he says the way they tell us to do that is they, they have us handle real money. We touch the real money, we handle it, we see, feel its texture, we kiss it. They don't kiss it. That was kind of weird to say that. But they, they don't do that. But they, ha they handle the true money and it helps them to identify immediately the counterfeit. Are you so versed in Scripture that you can easily tell what's counterfeit, what's error. Know your Bible. Know it better than you know your political party platform. Know it better than you know what Oprah says. Know it more than you know what, what you know, Rush Limbaugh says. Know your Bible. Here, let me give you another thing to do. Uh, pay attention to the truth by, by soaking in Scripture, but also I want to encourage you to read old books. Read old books. Uh, one of the definitions of heresy that I read is that a heresy is something new that deviates from the old. And so one of the best things you can do to protect yourself against false teaching is read old books because old books can stand the test of time. Uh, 
You know, you can look back and you could see a person's life because you can see all of it. You, they've stood the test of examination. Read old books. C.S. Lewis actually says this. There's an essay that Lewis wrote um, at the beginning of an old book by Athanasius called On the Incarnation. And he makes an argument for why Christians should read old books. Here's what he said. He said, every age has its own outlook. It is especially good at seeing certain truths and, specific, and, spe, and especially liable to make certain mistakes. We all, therefore, need the books that will correct the characteristic mistakes of our own period. And that means old books. Are you reading old books? The old stuff that have stood the test of time. Old creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Westminster Confession or the Heidelberg Confession. What Lewis notes in his article is that he says, if you look at the average church, the average small group, and you look at what most small groups are reading, they're all reading new books or new videos. Their diet is just, you know, everything that was written or spoken about in the last five years. But if that's your diet, you won't be wise enough to be able to discern the fads that blow in and out of the church. Read old books. Lewis says you don't have to read all, the, all old books because they're hard to read. But he says for every one book or every two new books that you read, read an old one. You say, but it's so hard. It's like taking your vegetables. But it grows you deeper. It makes you a solid, discerning Christian. And it can even make you more generous because the more you know what is true Christianity, the more you can be open-handed with, that, with those people that maybe they disagree with you, but they're not a heretic because you know what is true. It can, that can actually make you more generous. And finally, I want to encourage you to listen to Jesus. Above all, listen to Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ is the truth. And he said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Sure, all of Scripture is truth. But the point of all of Scripture is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know him? Do you know his voice? One old psychologist and author, M. Scott Peck, said that Jesus is the best-kept secret of Christianity. Have you read his life? Have you read his teachings? Do you know him? I was listening to a, a, a podcast yesterday about um, whether or not you should indoctrinate your kids with Christian faith. And I'm, I'm on the side of like, heck yeah, indoctrinate them. <laughs> Tell them the truth. You know, get it in their hearts and minds. But this one girl, this woman, she, she was not a Christian. She said, you shouldn't indoctrinate your kids. And she says, the reason why is because of what I was taught. And she said, I was taught as a child that I could never ask questions. I was taught that God wouldn't forgive me if I committed certain sins. I was taught about a God that scared me. And I kind of was thinking, the problem is not that she was indoctrinated. The problem was she didn't get the right Jesus. And Jesus Christ is compelling and beautiful. He is the truth. Do you know him? He's come into this world. He's lived a perfect life for you, and he's died on your behalf. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. There's no brokenness that he cannot heal. 
Do you know about this man? Do you know Jesus? He's the best kept secret of Christianity. Listen to him. Learn his voice. And so Peter says, if you're going to grow, you've got to learn how to do this. You've got to be discerning. Don't be gullible. Don't be too critical. But learn how to determine truth from error. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this teaching that you give us about the importance of spiritual discernment, uh, the, the importance of having a good diet of truth, about the ability to uh, discriminate and evaluate the prophets or the luminaries or the teachers that are, that are all around us, God, and we know that there's so much good, there's so much that is helpful, but we pray that you'd help us to be discriminating. Give us the wisdom and to grow deeper and stronger um, in the knowledge of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.